Wasn't that awesome? It's been a great weekend up here this weekend, uh, and good morning. My name's Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at the bridge, and um, what you just saw again, that was Takeover Weekend, and all of these students down here were a part of Takeover Weekend. Uh, their cohorts are at the other campus, uh, so both of our campuses came together, and, and basically it's a weekend for uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers where they come together, and we put them in homes of people that are part of the, of the bridge, and they're divided out by age and gender, and they go through these sessions over the weekend, starting on Friday night, and basically talking about how God has created everything, including human life. And how all of God's creation is meant to bring praise and glory uh, back to him. And so they talked about how can my life as a student bring glory and honor and praise back to him. I'm being told, would everybody, if, if you don't mind, would you kind of scoot in to each other and get to know people better? Because we need, we got people back in the back that are wanting to sit. So if there's seats, you know, close by, if you'll kind of, you know, shuffle on over a little bit uh, to make room. That'd be awesome. Look at everybody moving. That's good. That's good. Um, so, but, they, but they've been learning about how that, how that looks in their home, how that looks in their school, uh, how that looks among their friends to live a life that brings glory and honor uh, back to God. So it's been an incredible weekend. 16 of the students gave their life to Christ for the first time this week. So very, very cool. Uh, many other decisions that they made on personal basis uh, and how they lived their life each, each day and each week. And so it's just an incredible weekend. And what, what thrills me as well about that as, as a pastor is that, um, that we have the ability to create a student environment that is done with excellence and is so attractive to middle schoolers and high schoolers. And Brandon Self, our student ministry director, and the student staff. Yeah, you can give it up for Brandon and the staff. Yeah. Every week, they just knock it out of the park in relating uh, to the next generation of students and seeing them take steps uh, in their spiritual journey and their faith, becoming what God wants them to be. And, and uh, it just thrills me. And it's, the, it's one of the reasons that I'm never uh, ashamed or shy about asking you to contribute financially to the bridge. Because, and so many of you do it, and, and you're so generous, and, I, and my, I'm so grateful for what you do. But I think of all the, the thousands and tens of thousands of things you can do with your money, and there's only a few that really have a redemptive and eternal value. And when you, when you give to a place like the bridge, and you see the lives of these students and their families that are impacted not only today, but forever, um, to me, it's not just about simply giving money. It's about making an investment um, into their future, into their eternal life. And uh, I don't know of, uh, of a more redemptive way to use your money than to do that. And so for any of you that give and you're thinking, you ever get to that feeling where you think, I wonder if I need to be giving this. Hopefully some of this puts that to rest a little bit, that they're, the difference you're making by giving is phenomenal. So thank you for that. Uh, okay, that was my shameless plug for supporting the student ministry. Um, Today, it's week three of our Love Boat series. We've been uh, in a series the last couple of weeks talking about love and relationships and marriage. And uh, we've been having a lot of fun doing some uh, creative things, some different things. We're also giving away a cruise to some lucky couple at the end of this. We wrap up the series next week. And so after that, somebody, uh, some couple is going to win a cruise from this campus and from our Regal campus. And at the end of the service today, you'll hear more about how you can uh, get involved in that and how you can put your name in uh, to be drawn for that cruise. And each week we give a word of the day 
for just to verify that you were here. That's another way to get put into the drawing an extra time. Uh, so that'll come at the end of the service as well. Uh, so look forward to that. But we've been having a lot of fun talking about these things. And if today's your first day and you've missed the first two weeks, you can catch up easy. Uh, one of two ways, you can go to our website, thebridge.me slash messages, and you can find a video uh, format of the messages, or you can listen to it on the go with a podcast, your favorite podcast. Just look for the bridge, little button, red button icon, and uh, you can listen to us on the go. And I encourage you to go back and check out the last couple of weeks. But today, we're talking about different myths or fantasies that we bring into relationships, especially the marriage relationship. And the, the, the title of the talk today is Fantasy Island, because a lot of times I think we view marriage as this destination where all my dreams and fantasies are going to come true. And so we place all kinds of pressure on the relationship, on our spouse, because of these fantasies that we buy into and the problem is they can be very destructive. In fact, some of these fantasies can actually sink your love boat if you're not careful and if you, if you buy into them too much. And so I want to talk about some of those. And, and so I'm going to give you three of them today. And the first one, we're talking about fantasies that tend to sink love boats. The first one is the right person fantasy. The right person fantasy. Now, that, it gets played out in different thoughts that we have. And these thoughts kind of build on each other. And the first thought goes something like this, that somewhere there's the right person for me. Somewhere, whoever you believe, if you believe in God or just Mother Nature or fate or whatever you believe, but somewhere there's been another person created that is the perfect right person for you. There's only one, and that person is for you, and they are your soulmate. And you're, you know, it's just... All I need to do is find that person. So then that leads to the second thought. If I find the right person, then everything will be all right. If I just find that right person that's perfectly suited for me, we're compatible in every way. I just need to find them. And so if I find them, then everything will just fall into place. Every little thing going to be all right. It'll all work, right? And so, and so, you know, you think, well, do you need to work on being loving and patient and kind? No, 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 no. I don't have to work on that stuff because when I find the right person, I'm just going to be loving and patient and kind because that person's going to help me do that. Do you need to work on relationship stuff? No, I don't have to work on relationship stuff because when I find the right person, all those things will fall into place. And so dating then becomes a search for Mr. or Miss Right. And trying to avoid the temptation of giving into, well, she may not be Miss Right, but she's Miss Right now. And so we had to avoid that because you're looking for Mr. or Miss Right. So the question comes, well, how will you know? How will you know? And that's where the next thought comes in. When you meet the right person, you just know. Right? How many times have we given that advice? How, how, Mom, Dad, how will I know when I meet the right person? You'll just know. You'll just know. It's very subjective, right? You'll just know. And it comes really down to one word. And here's the word, chemistry. How will I know? It's chemistry. I mean, you're just going to click, right? I mean, it's just going to go together. I mean, you know, we just, we talk for hours. He listens to me and, and we just, we breathe on the phone and it's just so romantic. And, <laughs> and it just, you know, we can, and, 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 you know, he, he just, he gets me. You know, she understands me. 
You know, I can't keep my mind off of him. He can't keep his mind and other things off of me. And so if we just have chemistry. We just click. We just go together. And then when you add to that the mindset, you know, you never buy a car until you test drive it. You know, so now you add in the whole physical intimacy and sexual intimacy. And so the chemistry is perfect. The passion and sex is off the chart. And they're just right. They're right. And so you marry them, right? And you get married and there's no chemistry problem. You got that figured out. I mean, the chemistry is there. But you start running into relationship problems, people problems. You know, it's like the lady that said, well, I definitely married Mr. Wright. I just didn't know his first name was always, you know. And that's what you start running into is people problems, relationship problems. And you know what happens, right? When the relationship begins to sour, the chemistry and the sex isn't far behind. And the guy sitting back thinking... All she wants to do is talk, 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 talk. She never wants to stop talking about all these things. Talk, talk, talk. We just need to have more sex. She's a guy, a guy thinks of sex like a, a wrench or a duct tape, you know, a little bit of sex and I can fix this thing, you know. And so why can't we just get back to where we were? You know, everything was hot and passionate before. We just need to have more sex. Now she's over here thinking he never wants to talk anymore. All he wants to do is have sex. He never talks to me. He used to talk to me all the time. And so they have these relationship issues. And the chemistry is going south, the sex is going south, and someone comes up with the idea, I know what will fix it. Let's have a baby. Let's have a baby. That'll fix everything. You know what the guy thinks? The guy's going, that means more sex. I'm in. And so they then bring another human being into this whole dysfunctional mess, and it's going south fast. And they're going, what happened? Now, see, all the single people in here today, you're sitting here going, seriously? Like, who would be that dumb, right? Seriously? And all the married people are having a struggle looking at each other right now, and you're thinking, how does he know, you know? Well, it's not because I'm psychic or I'm overly intelligent necessarily. It's that every single time we think this relationship is straight out of heaven and it's so unique, it's really not. It's really not. It's a well-worn path of predictable behavior. And you're not the only person that's ever traveled down it. So many others have traveled down it before. And so now, Mr. and Miss Wright, you're having trouble, you're having struggles, and it leads to the very next thought. Well, then they must not be the right person. If I can't be happy, if we're not, you know, we just might, I might not find the right person. I just got to go look again and find the right person. Because with the right person, it's just all going to work. And so we get in this endless cycle of finding that person. Is it the right person? And here's the truth. There's no such thing as a perfect person. Nowhere. You're not going to find them. Which means there's no such thing as a perfect mate. Which means it's probably going to be difficult to have a perfect marriage. Just do the math on it. One sinner plus one sinner, plus a bunch of little sinnerlets, <laughs> will never equal perfect marriage. It just won't happen. And so all of this time we're pursuing that perfect, 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 perfect. A lot of it just wasted time. 
because that person doesn't exist. Now, here's a couple pieces of advice if you're single, okay? If you're single, focus on becoming, not finding the right person. Focus on becoming the right person. Instead of all the time you spend looking for and trying to find, listen, we can all sit back and make out a list of what the ideal person is going to be. Ideal person, what he or she is going to think like, act like, do, all those kind of things, look like. We can all come up with that list. But the question I have for you is, what about the list uh, regarding you? I mean, are you becoming that right person for someone else? Are you becoming the person that's on someone else's list? You see, a lot of times, especially if you're a Christ follower, you're a God follower, a lot of times we want to look at the Bible and we want to try to use the Bible to come up with this list of what a person's supposed to be like. Here's the right person, what they're going to be like. And the truth is, the Bible's really not helpful in the way of us, you know, coming up with lists for somebody else. But if we're looking for a list for our own lives, well, the Bible's extremely helpful in that way. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul, he was writing to Christians in the first century. And he's, he was telling them, listen, if you've committed your heart and life to Jesus Christ and you've received Jesus as your Savior by faith, then when that happened, the Spirit of God came to live within you. And the Spirit of God produces things in your life that will begin to be played out that other people will see. It, it's fruit that comes out of your life. And he says, here's what that looks like. And, he, and it's in Galatians chapter 5. In the New Testament, verses 22 through 23 says, The fruit that the Spirit produces in a person's life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these kind of things. He's like, listen, here's what, here's what the, you're looking for the kind of person that you need to become. And this is good for anybody. It doesn't even matter if you're, you, you even believe in God. It doesn't even matter about that. You, you can look at this list and go, this would be good for me. I mean, if, am I becoming a person that's more loving, that's, that's, that has a more of a selfless kind of love, that's kind, that's, that's, that's patient with people, that has self-control, that's goodness, that's faithful? Am I becoming that kind of person? This is a good list for anyone. And that's a good place for you to start, not looking for that other person to do, but for you. Am I becoming this kind of person? Because that's the kind of person that would be on somebody else's list that you're looking for. Now, just a little side note, when it comes to your dating, I would encourage you, date people with character. Date people with character. Listen, sexy has a shelf life, all right? It does, man. It expires before you know it. And some of you have already hit the expiration date. You know what I'm saying? It just has a shelf life to it. But we're attracted to sexy, right? We're attracted to that. It looks good, you know? But listen, marriage is about doing life together. And doing life together means there's going to be unexpected bumps along the way, twists, turns that happen in life. And you need people that will be there with you for the long haul. See, people of character have learned to work through issues and work through problems and are committed to being there for the long haul. Marriage is for marathoners. It's not for sprinters. You know, the sprinters are the ones that come out and they've got the muscular good-looking, sexy bodies. They walk out, get the picture made with people and stuff, you know. It's because they don't face any obstacles. They're on the track for a few seconds. They run their race, then they're off taking pictures again, you know. That's what they do. Marathoners, now they don't have necessarily the sexiest look. But they're built for the long haul. They're built with endurance. 
See, people of character, they've learned to work through things. They've learned to overcome the obstacles that, that face them. And they're committed to being with you for the long haul. So I'm telling you, when you're dating people, I understand sexy looks good. But I would encourage you above sexy to date people with character. Now, if you're married, here's a little rule of thumb I would say. If the marriage stinks, smell yourself. <laughs> ask, ask yourself, is there any stinking thing that I'm doing to contribute to this smell? Now, see, we don't really like that because in our culture, we're taught if there's any problem in my life or any problem in my marriage, it's somebody else's fault. It's not my fault. And so we're used to looking around to see whose fault it is, who's causing this problem. And I would encourage you to start with you, okay? Paul, again, in the book of Galatians, a little bit further down in chapter 6, he says this. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvest a crop of weeds. All that I have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's Spirit do the growth work in him, harvest a crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good at the right time. We will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. He's saying, listen, if your harvest is a stinky, smelly harvest of weeds, then you need to check your seed supply. You need to check what you're putting in the ground. What are you committing to the relationship? Now, I get it. Some of you sit back and go, well, in my situation, it is his fault. Or it is her fault. And there are occasions when one person is really at fault. But the other 99.9% .9 of the time, it's both people. And you're contributing in some way. You're contributing to the smell of that relationship. And so I would encourage you, smell yourself first if it stinks. Right person fantasy is the first one. Second fantasy the happy spouse fantasy. Happy spouse, happy house, right? And here's where this mindset is. The mindset is that my spouse, my marriage will make me happy. Now I get that, per that person, that my spouse, they're going to make me so happy, so happy. And here's the problem. Not all of us want to be in a relationship that we're happy with, right? Nobody says, I'd love to get married and be miserable. You know, nobody does it. We want to be in a relationship that we're happy with. There's no problem with that. The problem is when our attitude becomes, becomes that my spouse should make me happy. Now we're putting the responsibility of our happiness onto our spouse. And when we do that, it's a, man, it's a, it's a no-win situation for us or for them. Because they can't make you happy. There's no way that they're capable of doing that. And because, and then once we do that, we say, my spouse should make me happy. And if they're not making you happy, you start thinking, maybe I'm with the wrong spouse. If they can't make me happy. And that's not anything they ever signed up to do. And here's the deal. Study after study shows that happiness, real happiness, true happiness, is never dependent on the circumstances of your life. It comes from another place. It comes from within. And if you're a kind of person that says, certain things have to happen in my life for me to be happy, then you will live as a victim all your life. 
Because it will always be, well, if he would just, well, if she would stop, well, if we could only, then I would totally be happy. And it's not true. It's not true because you're, you're basing it on circumstances or people in your life. And in that moment, you'll be happy. But soon enough, they're going to do something. And you're not going to be happy anymore. And now you're on a roller coaster of emotions and you're taking everybody around you on the roller coaster with you they didn't even get in line for the roller coaster they didn't want to be on it but you grabbed them pulled them on and up and down with the emotions you're happy you're not you're happy you're not because it's based on the people in your life and Paul again he's writing in the book of Philippians talking about this whole thing of being happy in life and here's what he says in Philippians 4 12 I'm just as happy with little as with much with much as with little I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. He's like, doesn't matter. Whatever the circumstances are in my life, I have found the recipe for being happy. Now, you read something like that, you're like, recipe for being happy? Well, I'd like to see that. I'd like to cook up a little happiness. What's the recipe? And it's in the verse before, in verse 11. Here's what he says. I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. See, I've learned to be content regardless of the circumstances I'm in. So what Paul is saying is that the secret of happiness is contentment. The secret to being happy is contentment. And don't get that messed up. Contempt, contentment, it, it, uh, it doesn't mean that you, you know, I just accept the status quo. I just accept mediocrity, whatever. It's fine. That's fine. Okay, no big deal. That's not contentment. Contentment is saying, you know what? I'm not going to base my happiness on the circumstances that I find myself in. But I'm going to find an inner sense of joy by trusting Christ with the circumstances of my life. I trust him. I trust that he loves me more than I could ever love myself, that he wants the best for my life. And even if I'm going through the most horrific situation that I could ever face, he will bring good from that. That's what he's promised. And I trust him. And now that I've rested in that and I've trusted in that, I have a sense of contentment. I don't know why I'm in this situation. I don't know how to get out of this situation, but I'm content because I'm at peace. And that peace and trust in Christ brings a sense of joy to my life you see that's different than trying to base all of your happiness on the people and circumstances of your life because if you're constantly doing that you will never ever be fully happy because your spouse can't do that now the other part of that is <laughs> this mindset that says my spouse completes me completes me we can thank Jerry Maguire for that relational tidbit right <laughs> my spouse completes me Listen, your spouse cannot, they're incapable of completing you, okay? First, ladies, this is handy for you. If he asks you how your day is going every day, if he supplies you with all of your needs, if he wants God to be the center of your life, if he prays for you and you walk away, he's not your man, he's a Chick-fil-A worker. Stop holding up the line. <laughs> Next, right? Listen, it, we have this mindset that, that my spouse is going to do all of these things every day for me. 
And if they're not doing that, then there's something wrong, you know. They need to complete me, and they can't complete you. Completion has to be found somewhere else. Completion, for, especially for those, those of us who are Christ followers, completion is found in Christ. I'm a completed person in Him. I'm not dependent on someone else to complete me. Now, instead of thinking that way, here's the way we need to think. We need to think complement, not complete. Complement, not complete. Your spouse can't complete you, but they can complement who you are. And I don't mean like, hey, you look nice today. I mean, you know, bringing, making a full picture. See, when you got married, and you know the whole thing, opposites attract. And then you're discovering that you've been married for a while, and then they begin to attack, you know. Um, but what you were attracted to in that opposite, and it happens over and over again, right? That opposites tend to find each other, and you're attracted to that. Why? Why are you? Because they're different than you. And there's something appealing about that. None of us want to be married to ourselves, Right? Because we, we, we know how we are, and, it, you know, the times we think, well, if everybody could be just like me, well, if everybody was just like you, then we'd all be miserable, right? We can't do that, and we, we need the variety. You need the variety in your life. And so you find someone, and you're drawn to someone that's different than you. And it's wonderful. The reason you're drawn in that direction is because there's something about this person that makes you better. And together, you form a more complete picture you're more powerful together than either one of you are separately. And so they complement. And together you form something that's better than you do apart. So you got to think, man, I can't find somebody to complete me. I have to just think about, do they complement me? Do they, are they the, the, in the areas where I'm weak, are they strong? So together we're stronger because we're with each other. And the last way this whole happy spouse thing plays out is occasionally we'll get caught in this mindset of, well, my spouse will be able to just do things and meet my needs, and I won't have to ask. They'll just know. <laughs> they'll just know what makes me happy, and they'll just want to do it. And we get caught in this mindset, and we do it, and I see couples do it. Listen. I've been married for over 28 years to Trina, and we still do it, okay? It's, it's, it's something that's easy to get caught up in. And so often, we, we tend to use this as a litmus test of their love. Well, if they really love me, they would know what I want. I mean, for heaven's sakes, we've been married for X number of years. They should know. They're just not in tune with me. They don't care. They don't love me. And the problem is, every time we do that, we set our spouse up for failure, and we set ourselves up for disappointment. Because they're, they're not going to get it right. Because they don't know. And I'm telling you, ladies, he doesn't know. <laughs> he should know. I get it. I understand. But he's male. He doesn't know, all right? And, 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 and listen, we can argue back and forth about what he should, what he doesn't, what he should, what he doesn't. Wouldn't it be better just to tell him? I, you know, again, Trina and I, we, we've had um, passionate conversations about this area. <laughs> and just a couple of weeks ago, we had another one. But, there, you know, there are times that, that and, and, you know, typically we're at home. Um, neither one of us are 
sitting down for very long, it doesn't seem like we're, one of us or both of us are up. There's always something's got to be done, right? So we're always jumping up and doing things. But occasionally I might come in and sit down and I'm watching something on, on TV. And she's walking around, picking things up, cleaning things, doing various things. And, and I've told her before, just, if you ever need help, just say, hey, babe, can you help me with this? I'll, I'll jump up. I'll do anything. I'll, whatever you need. But instead... She may walk around and say, you know, sure seems to be a lot of stuff around here to get done. <laughs> I've been at this all day, pretty tired. <laughs> Woo, man. It's not going to get done by itself. Woo. <laughs> and you know what's going through my mind? I'm, I, between watching TV and then half the time really nothing going through my mind, and then the other half the time looking around at her going, boy, look at her go. She's got a lot of energy, you know. <laughs> We're just not, oh, and she's getting more and more frustrated. How does he not know? I mean, for heaven's sakes, I've all but asked him to get up and help. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> just ask. Again, we can argue back and forth about, well, you should just know. Well, I don't. Well, you should. Well, I'm male. That's not an excuse. We can argue about that all day long. Or you can just ask, right? I mean, just be clear and just say, hey, this is what needs to happen. Is there a way that it can happen? Don't, listen, your spouse didn't sign up to be your mind reader, okay? And every time we expect that and we make it a litmus test of their love, boy, we, we, we just set ourselves up and we set them up. So, so if you're trying to be, if you're trying to find happiness in that spouse, whew, that's a tough road. That's the kind of fantasy that will sink your love boat, I'm telling you. Now, if you're, if, if you're single here today, and you're just, you're just, you're miserable being single. You're just miserable being single. I'm just tired of being single. I'm just miserable being single. I just, I just, I want to be married so I'll be happy. That's not going to go well, all right? <laughs> and here's why. Marriage is a magnifier. It's not a pacifier, okay? Yeah. Marriage does not pacify you. It doesn't help you feel better. It magnifies whatever problems you bring in. It really does. <laughs> it really does. So if you walk in and you've got this problem or that problem, I'm telling you, marriage is going to heighten it. It's not going to pacify it, okay? And ladies... If you're dating somebody and the guy continues to say, I just need you, I need you, I need you, need to run is what you need to do. <laughs> he needs a counselor, he doesn't need a wife, okay? You don't, that, because you're bringing problems, all right? And marriage is a magnifier, it's not a pacifier. Happy spouse, happy house is a fantasy. Don't get caught up in it. Now, third and final one, smooth sailing fantasy. Smooth sailing you find the right person, you're in the right relationship, the right marriage, it's just smooth sailing. And we can thank Disney and all those other people for that. But since we've been a kid, we've been told, and they all lived. Thank you very much. That's right. That's right. So what that means is we're going to sail off into the sunset. 
we're on the love boat. You know, it's everything's going well. Marriage is going to be great. No conflict. If it's the right relationship, you're not going to have conflict. If it's the right person, the right marriage, it's not going to be conflict. There's not going to be any arguing and fighting. You've got to, you know, counseling, that's for broken relationships. You don't need any counseling because you're smooth sailing and everything's going to be awesome and great. And it is absolutely a myth that we tend to buy into, a fantasy that we tend to buy into because marriage is difficult. Being with two people, two imperfect people, again, being together, that's a difficult thing 24-7. You say, well, he was not like that when we were dating. He was trying to impress you. <laughs> and he could go home and regroup and come back the next day. <laughs> now you got him 24-7. There's no, you know, regrouping. He's just there. <laughs> it's tough. Now, now, let me tell you, here's some good news, okay? Now, you may, over the last few years, you might have heard all the stats that keep getting put out there that, that marriage in the U.S. is failing, over, you know, 50% or greater of all marriages in the divorce. Have anybody heard that stat? Well, it's not accurate. It's not true. Okay? You say, well, okay. Because here's what's going on. Uh, demographers, st statisticians, they all are giving you those stats based on assumptions. These are projections they're making. They're not uh, reporting the actual data. They're making presumptions based on different things that are going on. So these are projections. They're saying that this will be the case. It's not actually the case. They're not actually giving you the raw data of what's happening. And you can look this up, go home and Google it. I promise you there are plenty of studies. There are plenty of, uh, of census uh, you know, bureau reports and all kinds of stuff. That, that the, the divorce rate is actually somewhere between 20 to 30% and it's been declining over the last 20 to 30 years, which means that 70% or greater of first-time marriages are still together and they're still happily married. Look it up for yourself, okay? Now, what does that mean for you? Well, that should tell you that whatever problems you're going through in your marriage, that there are other couples that have gone through that as well and over 70% of them are still together. So maybe we can work through this. You know, because we always, you know, you had the thought before, well, we might just be one of the stats, you know, 50% or greater, we'd probably fall in that. Well, now you got 70% or greater that's staying together, so be that stat. Lord, work on it. Listen, all of that to say, I still get it that, that marriage is tough, life is messy. It, two people working things out together, that's difficult. I understand that, I get it, but anything that's worth having, you have to work at. If marriage was easy, you just take it for granted. But the fact that you have to work at it means it is something of value. And listen, your spouse may, be, may do things that irritate you till the day you die. The good news is you die. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it anymore, right? <laughs> listen, it's, it's not easy, all right? It's difficult, but it's worth the work. It's worth investing into. And if you ever meet any couple that says, well, we never have conflict. We never argue. We don't have those kind of problems. They are either liars, deniers, or no longer triers, okay? <laughs> they're lying to you, or they're denying what's really going on, or they've just given up and stopped trying a long time ago to make it work. 
Any of the three, you don't need to listen to what they've got to say. Because conflict is inevitable. But that does not mean that happiness is unattainable. Conflict's going to happen. But so many couples have learned to work through that and find a greater level of happiness and joy on the other side of it. So you have choices. You always have choices, right? Well, there's some choices that you can make that will either determine whether your love boat sinks or keeps on cruising. And I'm going to give you three and we're done. Here's three choices you can make. Number one, be open to truth. Be open to truth. So much of this stuff gets propagated to us by media, movies, music, whatever else out there, saying this is all these, all these fantasies are really truth. And we start buying into it and we think of ourselves, we're crazy to, to deny this because this is real. This is true. And it impacts our relationships. It impacts our marriages. But it's not true. You know, Apostle Paul, he said this in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. He said, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He said, don't, 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 especially if you're a Christ follower, don't just copy the behaviors and just buy into all the fantasies that this world pushes at you. Let God change you. Let God transform you by the way you think. Because once you think about it differently, and God's truth helps you think about it differently, then you begin to feel it in your heart differently, and you behave differently. If you, listen, it is so much easier to act your way into a feeling than it is to feel your way into an action, okay? Now, you, you sit back and you go, well, I, I just don't feel like it. Well, yeah, I would do that, but I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like it, feel like it. We're, we're so heavy on feeling, feeling, feeling. Well, that's what love is. No, it's not. There's an emotion that gets attached to love, but love is a verb. Love is an action word. Love is a choice that you make regardless of what's going on around you. Love is a choice to say, I am with you. Whether or not you ever do this for me, I'm with you. Love is a choice, and the more you act in that direction, at some point you start feeling it too. But if you wait till you feel it, you're not going to ever get there. But part of that is allowing God's truth to transform the way you think and not buying into all this other stuff. And it, and it says you'll know, you'll learn to discover God's will, His good and pleasing and perfect will. See, when we start trusting what God's Word teaches us, the truth that we find in the Scripture, and we trust it enough to apply it to our lives and to live by it, then we begin to discover God's will for our life. And you might have been under the impression that God's will for you is going to be no fun, unfulfilling, not satisfying, but you know, no, no, I don't want to do it. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. God's will for you is good. It's pleasing. It's satisfying. It's fulfilling. It's perfect. You just have to trust him enough to listen to what he says, invite him into your situation, and do the things that he asks you to do. Be open to the truth. The second thing I tell you is a choice you can make. Cultivate, don't compare. Cultivate, don't compare. See, a lot of times we get caught up in this whole mindset of, well, I mean, you look at your spouse and you think, you know, all the things they do and say and the way they relate to you and the decisions they make, choices, different things like that. And we start thinking, I wish he was more like so-and-so. 
I wish she was more like so-and-so. I wish, and we start comparing, comparing, comparing. And every time we do that, our spouse loses. And we do too eventually. Because here's what we're doing. We're ta- whoever it is you're comparing them to, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, whoever it is, you're taking a very small slice of their life and it's going to be the best. You have no clue what it's like to be in a relationship with that person. You just see what they present at the office or wherever you're seeing them, this little small sliver. And you're taking that little small sliver of the best that they have to offer and you're comparing it to your bump on the log spouse over here. That you see all the baggage, all the problems, all the issues because you've been living together 24-7. And you're, giving, you're, you're comparing their blooper reel to their highlight reel. And there's no way your spouse wins at that. And, and not only do they lose, but you lose eventually. Because you're trying to compare, compare, compare. And the comparison game is a trap. And if you get caught in it, it's hard to come out of it and nobody wins. Instead, cultivate. Sow into your relationship. Quit looking around at all the people that got it better than you and start sowing in to the kind of marriage that you want to create, that you want, that you believe God wants you to have. Sow into it. I said the very first week, we we'll always get caught up. You know, grass looks greener on the other side of the fence. Listen, grass is grass. If you want your grass greener, water it, okay? <laughs> Do things necessary to fix your yard. Quit looking at everybody else's. Work on it. Cultivate it. Stop comparing. And that leads really to the third one. Die to yourself. Die to yourself. Jesus was teaching one day, and he kind of talked about this. Here's what he said in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. He said, listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. But if you will let go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. He said, you know what? You take a grain of wheat, and if you just hold on to it, it just stays a grain of wheat. But if you plant that in the ground, man, there's something that can happen. When that grain dies as a seed, it begins to reproduce something that's incredible. And it reproduces over and over and over again. But just as a seed, it just stays there and it dies. And he says the same is true in your life. And I'd say in your relationships. If you just try to hang on to what life is, hang on to what I got. I want what I want. I'm not going to do anything any different. Well, that that self-centeredness is going to eventually destroy you. But if you would die to to those things, if you die to yourself, God says, "I I can transform you. I can transform you, your relationships, everything. And I can produce something that's so incredible. So incredible. Listen, repeatedly in the Scripture... God, there's a, God's commanding us to die. Die to yourself, die to yourself, die to yourself. You ever thought, why? Why does he want me to die to myself? Well, simple. Dead people tend to be easy to get along with. <laughs> right? I mean, dead people don't lose their temper. They don't raise their voice. Dead people are pretty patient. They just lay around. Dead people, you know, they... Uh, 
They don't try to connive or manipulate you trying to push their agenda or get their own way. Dead people tend to be loyal, kind. See, there's a part of us that God says, why don't you just die to all of these things that you're holding on to? See, the truth is nobody ever gets everything they want. Nobody gets everything they want. God doesn't want you to have everything you want. You say, well, that's, I, didn't, I thought God wanted us to have everything, the desires of our heart, whatever we wanted. No. All right, if you're a parent, when your children, if they're small or when they were small, did you let them have everything they wanted? If you did, then they're on a constant diet of candy and, you know, sugar and whatever else that they wanted in life. You, as parents, if we're worth anything, we don't let our kids have everything out what we want, that they want. Don't you think our Heavenly Father looks and says, I'm not going to give you everything you want. If I do, it will destroy you and everybody around you. And I love you too much to do that. Nobody gets everything they want. So how about if we just die to some of those wants and let God produce in us what he wants? People come in for marriage counseling. Hey, I, in all my years of, of counseling people, I don't think there are any marriage issues. There are a lot of people issues and people are married and they bring those people issues in, but they're not marriage issues, okay? They're people issues and by and large, when a couple comes in, it's going to come down to, how can I get my spouse to do this? How can I get my husband to blank, whatever it is, fill in the blank. How can I get my wife to blank, fill in the blank, whatever it is. How can I get what I want? That's by and large what they think. And I'm just telling you, in most cases, and I'm just saying most, I really want to say all, but I'm going to say most, just give a little wiggle room. In most cases... If you see a marriage that ends, it's because either one or both people became selfish. And I'm going to do what I want and get what I want, and I don't care. To hell with the consequences. I'm going to do what I want and get what I want. Listen, marriage is, is probably the, the only institution or relationship that is perfectly crafted to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> to help you die to yourself. Because you're in a relationship with someone that has needs as well. They're not perfect. And those two people trying to work together and trying to have something that's fulfilling and long-lasting, it takes a lot of dying to yourself to have those kinds of things. But boy, if you do. And I don't mean that you just you become a doormat and say, oh, whatever, I don't care, just walk all over me. That's not the, the point of that point is that you say, I want to die to me so that Christ can use me, to, can do whatever he wants in my life or in my relationship. And it can become very fulfilling. Now listen, I just want you to understand that regardless of where you are today in your marriage, and I know, I know there's some very serious marriage issues in here today, but I would tell you that and I believe this all in my heart. Wherever you are in your marriage, it's not hopeless. Now, for some of you, I'm sure as soon as I said that, you're like, okay, write that off. You know, 
Because you don't know, Scott. You don't know where we are. You don't know what we're going through. You don't know what he's done. You don't know what she's done. You don't know anything about it. So how can you sit back there? It's not hopeless. You're right. I don't know. And I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know where. I don't know what. I don't know any of that. But what I know is that God tends to live at the end of our relationship rope. And God specializes in putting lives back together putting families back together, relationships back together, and healing wounds. Seems like that's God's specialty. And I just believe there's hope in that. I believe there's hope found in Him. And I would encourage you, invite Him into the situation. And I don't mean, you know, God, would you come in and blast her or blast Him. I mean, invite Him in in a way that says, God, would you fill my heart with joy, with peace, and with love for this person? God, would you help me to look at my attitudes and what things I'm planting in the marriage and give an honest assessment of that? God, would you help my mind to be open, my thoughts to be open to your truth? And would you transform my thoughts and my behaviors according to what you want and help me to trust what you tell me enough to be willing to do it? God, would you help me to be the wife, the husband, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the friend that I need to be in this relationship and I will trust you with the outcome? See, that's inviting him in to your relationship, to your marriage, to your situation. And I think anytime you do that, it's not hopeless. And it can lead to something incredibly powerful and transforming. And that'd be my hope for you. That'd be my prayer. Because I don't want us to buy into any more of these fantasies that tend to sink our love boats. And I hope that your love boat will just cruise into the sunset together. Let me pray for us, okay?